0: So this morning, as we remember and celebrate Memorial Day, first, we hope that you have a wonderful day of holiday tomorrow and celebration, be careful, but also we pause to think about what it means to us and how it applies to us as Christians. So I want to talk to you about a call to battle, a call to battle. Matthew 11, verse 12 says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent." Take it by force. My reading of that is not a quiet, passive, laid-back, hide in a monastery, cover your head Christianity. This is an aggressive go for broke, use your faith, lay hold on eternal life, and don't let go Christian faith. From the dawn of history, people have had to fight for what is good and what was right. And that's a characteristic that will continue for a believer until we enter the presence of God. You're in a battle. You were born again into a war zone between good and evil, between light and darkness, between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. There is constant, ongoing conflict, and you were birthed right into the middle of it. There is no neutrality, not at all. You have to fight for what is good and what is right. Even the first man and woman were confronted with warfare. In Genesis 3, the enemy came in with deception to take what was rightfully man's. And because man did not fight properly, he'll spend the rest of his life fighting to regain what has been taken from him. And from that first earthly battle between Adam and the serpent, we see the Bible is a book of battles from Genesis right into the book of Revelation. So, fighting for what is good and what is right will always be part of our lives. Abraham had to fight for Lot and his family. He fought for his faith in God and and for the covenant that God promised to him. He had to fight in faith to believe he would actually have a child, let alone be the father of many nations, when he was yet 100 years old and his wife 90, and nobody's even pregnant. How many of you think that might be a little emotional battle? Uh, yeah, you know, it's just easy to sit around and read read a verse and just blow it off, but I, I try to get into the story, and I thought, what would I be thinking? How would I be thinking such a thing as possible? I, I hope it stretches your imagination, because— If God says, there's nothing too difficult for me, you are not in an impossible situation this morning. Not at all. Maybe in your flesh you are, but you are not in an impossible—if God can give a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman babies, Lord Jesus, what's your problem? Joseph fought for his own life. Then he fought for the nation of Egypt, then for his own family to be saved from famine. Moses had to fight. He fought to deliver his own people from Egyptian bondage. He fought to deliver them throughout the struggles of the wilderness, a constant warfare. And although God promised Israel they would possess the land, they still had to fight before they could move in. God told them over and over, behold, I have given you the land, yet they're not in it. God says, I have given it to you, but you're going to have to fight to get it. And that's going to be true for a lot of promises God makes for you. You are going to have to discover faith is a fight. You battle because you have an adversary who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. You have an enemy, and we're well-warned about it, and we've been given weapons to fight. The sword of the the Lord, which is the Word of God, which is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And when Jesus fought the devil, He didn't use instruments, He used the Word of God. Behold, it is written, and he would quote Scripture, which is exactly what we're going to do at the end of this brief message. We're going to do a little warfare battle with God's Word, and we're going to do it. How, do, how long do you do it, Rick? Till you win. Till you see the manifestation of what Jesus purchased for you at the cross. It ain't over till you win. So that's why we need to fight the daily battle. Stay in this deal. Don't tap out. Many people will say, well, if it's God's will, it'll happen. Really? It was God's will that Israel have that land. But they still had to fight for it, and they spent 40 years in the backside of a desert because they didn't have the guts to go and fight. God had to send them out in the desert for 40 years because He was said, when they see war, they're going to turn around and flee. How about that? That means God can't give you what your inheritance is if you're afraid to fight for it. If you're timid and passive and complacent, you will not inherit the fullness of what God has for you because you won't fight. And he had that same problem with the nation of Israel. The fact that we have to fight is part of Christianity. Gideon had to fight. He had to fight his own self-image, seeing himself unworthy and weak. He told that angel of the Lord, look, I'm the least in my family, great self-image, and I belong to the smallest tribe in Israel. Who am I? Look at my background. I don't even have a GED. What can I do? And God says, you are a mighty man of valor in My sight. There's more to you than meets the eye. I see in you a champion and a deliverer, and I'm going to bring it out in combat, because that coward is not what you really are. So there's a lot more to some of you than you think, right? Then Gideon, with 300 men, overthrew the army of the Midianites, and fought successfully for the freedom of his nation. Samson had to fight the Philistines as the Spirit of God came upon him. David had to fight the giant Goliath, because nobody else would. And then he had to constantly fight as a king the Philistines. David was a great king, but David was also a man of war. And if you remember, Saul lost his honor and the kingdom because he wouldn't fight. He wouldn't take on Goliath. He sent this kid out to do it. He shied away from the fight. Nehemiah had to fight to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Daniel had to fight against corrupt political officials in Babylon. Jesus fought the Pharisees and Sadducees and the religious traditions of His day. He fought sickness and demons and poverty. Every day He walked on earth, and it was the religious system He had to fight the most. I mean, obviously He destroyed death, hell, and the grave. but. I'm sure he would like to have taken out a few religious leaders because they were the worst. Religious people are just the worst. They think they are somehow righteous. But righteousness is imputed to you by faith, not earned. And it's what God makes us to be when we accept Jesus, for crying out loud. Martin Luther fought against the religious traditions of the Church of Rome and broke loose the Reformation. John Wesley had to fight. He fought the tradition of the church in England, and he uh, established the Methodist Church, the Wesleyan Church. He fought for revival, and he changed the destiny and course of his own world. Some of our parents fought in world wars and regional wars, like Korea, so we could enjoy a free nation. They fought, and many gave their lives, so we could live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. I—because I, our church is multiracial, I am quick to point out that many people in here, we have so many wonderful pet people in leadership from the African-American community who serve and make this church what it is, a, a colorful diversity of talent and uh, honor and respect. Your parents and grandparents had to fight for civil liberties and civil rights. The young people that get to enjoy today sometimes need to go back and give Grandma a big kiss and a hug, because some of them were horribly treated, discriminated against, could not vote, could not sit at a restaurant with white people, had to sit—how would you like to be treated like that as a human when our Constitution guaranteed certain inalienable rights to everybody that was born in this country? People had to fight for it. It was a liberty that should have been given, but people had to fight for it. And I'll tell you something else. You won't like everybody God uses to battle. Because he can't use, pretty boy, you're too worried about your image. You're too worried about what somebody may say on a blog. You're too worried about your haters. So, God will just use people you don't like. And women, you don't even know what the suffrage movement was, most of young adult women. But most of the rights you have came from women who were pretty strong and pretty aggressive, who led, who led uh, marches and demonstrations so that women could have the right to vote. You, you women had no rights at all, practically, until the suffrage movement came. And women from the different races and nationalities in our country led that fight. There have been corporate fights for equal pay, for equal work. Anything that we're enjoying today came as a result of somebody fighting to make it so. And I'm trying to say to you, God will use somebody who's willing to fight and willing to do what's right, even though they may be quite a bit flawed because He can't get anybody pretty and nice and clean to do it. Do you, do you get that? I mean, you, if you don't get that, that Bible will be a mystery to you about who God uses and why. They will carry the football. That's the bottom line. They will carry the ball. They're not worried about getting their uniform dirty or somebody not liking them. And this business called Church, dear God, it's all about image, and who likes who, and who's the favorite, and who's the cutest, and it is stinks. And it's always separated by race or by denomination or by political affiliation, which was never the church of Jesus Christ. It had women and men and poor and rich. It had many multination Gentiles and Jews. It was an absolute uh, scrambled mix-up of everybody. And it had never been seen before in history until Jesus came. Women had no rights at all until Jesus came and liberated women, yet the religious system still wants to keep them off a pulpit and keep them out of the the teaching and out of any leadership role at all. Still does. Amazing to me. Stupidity seems to have no limit at all. You know, most things have a limit, but not stupidity. It just goes on and on and on. So let me ask you this morning, what are you fighting for? What we have in this Bible, what we have in our country, is because people fought and some died. If they hadn't fought, we wouldn't have it. Much of the church has the 1960s mentality of apathy, peace, and flowers in your hair. Yet they enjoy the spoils of those who fought for them. God is a God of war, the Bible says. The Bible is a book of battles, and the Christian life is a fight of faith. So what are you fighting for today? Have you become a soldier in the army of God, or are you a flower child? So, you have to fight for what's good and what's right and what's excellent, to fight for the will of God in our lives, in our families, our marriages, in our nation, and in our world. Exodus 15, verse 2 and 3, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare Him a habitation. My Father God and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. So, God leads His people in war because we fight for what is good and what is right. In 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verse 12, St. Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. And some of us have gotten to the point where we think if there is a fight, we must not have faith. If I had faith, Rick, there'd be no fight. Where did you get that? See, the Bible says faith is a fight. The Bible says resist the enemy and He will flee from you." So, it indicates warfare. Well, Rick, I feel so bad. I have financial problems. I've got some family problems, physical problems. I've been praying and believing, but it's not changing yet, and I feel like I'm in a fight. Well, that's it, brother. That's faith. Faith is fighting for what is good and what is right. Faith is not saying, presto, change abracadabra. Yet many believers feel if the situation doesn't change real fast, Like before church is out, we don't have faith. So you've been spoiled by a culture that says, lunch, if it's not on your table in 15 minutes, it's free. You didn't read that in the kingdom of God. That didn't come there. You may have to wait 15 years, but what God has for you is worth fighting for and waiting for. Amen. So, fight the good fight of faith. That's what faith is. It's fighting for healing when it doesn't seem to be there. It's fighting for prosperity when the money doesn't seem to be there. It's fighting for peace in your home or marriage when it seems like everything's against you. Faith is fighting. To say, if I had faith, I wouldn't have to fight is unscriptural. Having faith means you're willing to fight for what is right and what is good. The person who fights against the trials of life is not the one with weak faith. They're the ones who do have faith. The person who won't fight, who gives up, who turns away, that's the one with weak faith. Fighters are faith people. I'm not going to let my child stay in this physical problem. No, I'm not going to let my marriage end in divorce. I'm going to fight for it. I'm not going to let our church stagnate and become a bunch of pew warmers. I'm going to fight for the Spirit of God to move in our church. I'm not going to let my life become selfish and self-centered and just live for me. I'm going to give and make a difference in my world. I'm going to fight with whatever I have to change my world. I can't change the world, but I can change my world. And so can you. And you can do it by the choices you make. And part of that is willing to fight. That's the kind of person you want to be. Faith is a fight. Now listen to St. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Anybody noticing the military combat terms that keep popping up in the Bible? That. That ought to be a tip-off right there. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. How many of you know if you enlist in the military, you don't get a waiver against hardness? You don't get a waiver that says you are hereby granted permission not to be wounded, hurt, inconvenienced, or to suffer any hardship, whatever. Yeah, that is wah-wah land. That, that doesn't happen. You don't get a waiver like that. And if you're going to go into battle, you expect to have some tough times. You expect to have some pain. There'll be some suffering. There'll be some hard times. Just get married. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Now, you chicken, you're afraid to say amen. Your wife's sitting by you. And yet, people shy away from hardness, see? It's hard to say. You know, I think we say, well, if it's hard, it must not be the Lord. If it was the Lord's will, well, it would just be easy. But God is a God of war and battle. He doesn't lead us into easiness and sloth. Scripture over and over rebukes sloth and tells you what kind of a crummy life you'll have if you become lazy and slothful. He says He will lead you into battle, and battle will be hard. You don't get a flat-screen TV, an air-conditioned bunk. You, You don't get the privilege to wash and have a hot bath and a shower and three nice meals a day when you're in combat. That doesn't happen. But there's one exciting thing. We always win if we follow God. He says you are more than a conqueror through Christ. That means you've won it before it's over. You've you've in the battle, but the outcome is already assured. It was like watching LeBron James and the Cavaliers take down the Raptors in the last game. After the first quarter, it was over. I changed channels and moved on. It was a rout. It wasn't even a contest anymore. That's what you call more than a conqueror. It means you've already won it before it's over. They hadn't fallen down and left, left the building. That might have been a good thing for the coach to say, time out. We're just going to go on home, get a meal on the plane. God bless you. We'll try again next year. I mean, it was over. There was no hope in heaven or hell. They could return it. Do you capture the feeling of that? You just know when it's over. <laughs> anyway, I just, I keep thinking, God's already declared me a winner. But I've got to fight for that victory that He won. I've got to enforce it against the enemy, and that's my part. So I fight the good fight of faith. So many have the mentality that to walk with God means my life's going to be easy, soft, and comfortable. Good luck with that. The Bible says, endure hardness. Man, Rick, I've been trying to avoid hardness. Avoid the challenge of service to the Lord. It's hard. Avoid the challenge of commitment to the Lord. Avoid the challenge of ministry and giving up your life. Avoid anything that seems to be hard. Avoid, you know, being a small group leader. Uh, every week you got all these people coming to your house and they march in, dirty up the house, take all the food they can find with them, and then they leave. It's hard. You have so few that will make that commitment because most people want to avoid inconvenience and hardness. But if you're going to engage in Christianity, it's hard. It's not ever convenient. It's inconvenient. So whether a thing is hard or not is never the issue. We're commanded to endure hardness as good soldiers. So we're not here to find the easy way. We don't want a maintenance mentality. The fact the thing is difficult doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. It's probably a good sign you're in the will of God. Soldiers who run from battle are never honored. They're not given medals. They are dishonorably discharged or court-martialed. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 4, No man who wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life so he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. If I want to please God, if I want to get a well-done, good, and faithful soldier, I think pleasing God is more important than getting my house paid off or getting my yard mowed. When my house and boat and toys are more important than pleasing God as a good soldier who endures hardness, then my priorities are wrong. Paul says, don't get wrapped up with the affairs of life. Yeah, I live in it. Enjoy life, of course. But don't let that entangle you so it takes you away from God and out of any service to the kingdom of God. I think Satan can ruin some people by success. He'll give you enough margins of money and profit and toys and options where he just seduces you right out of any service to the kingdom of God. Keep your focus. Paul didn't say don't enjoy life. He just said don't get wrapped up entangled with the affairs of life. If you can't drop your toys to fight for God, you're in bad shape. If you can't leave your comfort and pleasure to fight for God, you're finished. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. When we do battle, we're not fighting in our strength. We're fighting in the Lord's strength. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. In other words, we fight spiritually behind people, which is what we see are spirits that manipulate people and actions and behavior. So, over areas of high crime, and murder, and rape, and drug, there's a principality that rules that area. You can drive outside that boundary, everything changes. He rules over different areas of a city, of, of families. And so, when you fight, you're fighting against that power of infirmity, maybe it's sickness, or maybe it's murder, rape, disorder. Those are principalities and powers that we are armed. We have the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. Our shoes are the, shod with the gospel of peace. We've got the sword, which is the Word of God in our hands. We're, we're suited up for battle. We, most Christians don't even have a clue about fight. You're thinking, i got to find a church where I can rest. <laughs> fight. Hebrews 4.11 says, let's labor to enter into that rest. See, if you don't fight, you'll never have victory. And if you never have victory, you'll never have peace. And if there's no peace, there won't be any rest. if you fight in the flesh, you'll burn out. You'll make statements like, well, can I ever do enough? Will this ever end? Will I ever be good enough? Now, that means you've left the Spirit, and now you're in the flesh. And that will wear you out. But spiritual burnout is a misnomer. You can't be spiritual and burn out unless God burns out. I can burn my flesh out, my emotions out, but I can't burn my spirit out. The fight of faith, spiritual warfare is hard, but you won't burn out. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit that breaks the yoke. My wife is so anointed with the Holy Spirit, she can't cook eggs for breakfast because the anointing always breaks the yolk. I know, I know. I know. That's pretty bad. I know. Spiritual warfare is always fought with faith, the Word of God, vision, prayer, boldness, and love. Those tools of warfare will never wear you out. Now, let me close with this thought. We're fighting for excellence. Excellence in our walk with God spiritually, physically, financially, mentally, emotionally, in our marriages, on our jobs, in our dreams. Psalms 8 verse 1 says, O Lord our God, how excellent is Thy name in all the earth, who has set Your glory above the heavens. How excellent is Thy name. In the Bible, a person's name describes their being, their character. When God changed Jacob's name, his name Jacob meant supplanter, heel grabber, cheat. He named him Israel, prince with God, one who was conquered by God. And it was because his life and his character was forever changed. So when the Bible says God's name is excellent, it means he's an excellent being. His character is excellent. His personality is excellent. Everything He does is excellent. When God created man, He created an excellent being. And now as sons and daughters of God, if you're a believer in Jesus, you and I are commanded in Ephesians 5, verse 1, to be imitators of God. We're to follow Him and be like Him as much as we possibly can. We're to be a people of excellence, not whatever, not just enough. Not barely enough, we're to be second-mile people. Extra effort, and then some. We do what's required, what's expected, and then some. I'll tell you what, that'll be more of an evangelistic tool than stuffing tracks in people's faces. That kind of a Christian. You come into the office Monday, you're singing. You got an encouraging word. You know, instead of T-G-I-F, we need T-G-I-M. Thank God, it's Monday. Woo! Yeah. Now, when, you, when others look for an easy way, you look for the right way. My Heavenly Father is excellent. I'm imitating Him. God doesn't have a bad day. I, I'm fighting for excellence in every realm of my life. I want every area of my life to line up with what God promises me I can have. You say, well, does it always work that way? No, i got to fight. Oops, this area's got trouble, going to have to fight there. Oops, this area's got trouble now, and I've got to bring it under order. So you are always working, looking, vigilant, sober-minded, because the adversary is roaming around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. So you're always on guard watching your kids, watching your life, watching your health, watching your finances, watching your relationship. You want to make sure when you see a door open and the enemy enter, you slam that door in his face, and you jump on that with combat boots. I mean, go after it. Because remember, you're not—it's not your intelligence quota. It's the rights and privileges of sonship you've been given by Jesus that give you authority. It's not how you've scored on your, your uh, I don't know what, what do they call them now. SAT. T-S, what? SAT. SAT, okay, whatever. They call it all the new exams. I mean, that's got nothing to do with spiritual authority. You're a, you're a prince or a princess. You're, a, you're, a, you're, you're sons and daughters of the Most High God. You're kings and priests. You have been given authority by God. Use it. Use it. It's not based—well, you know, my past is pretty sorted. Well, everybody's past is sorted. But you've been made righteous by Jesus. You've been changed. Now, He has no record of that. Stop it. Shut up. Quit talking about it. Quit bringing it up. Quit writing books and living in what happened to you 40 years freaking ago. I don't want to hear about it anymore. God has no record of it. Some people get on the circuit, and all they want to talk about is the abuse they had years ago, so we can cry more tears, blow more snot and tissues, instead of, hey, that did happen to me. Jesus saved me, healed me, cleansed me. I'm an agent for God's redemption to people now. I don't even think about that anymore. It's not part of my life. Get over it. Put Psalms 36, 7. How excellent is Your lovingkindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of Your wings. That means, I can trust an excellent God. He says in Psalm 76, 4, you are more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. Again, an excellent God. Psalms 148, verse 13, let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth in heaven. So what kind of a God do we serve? Excellent. Not get by duct tape. Well, good enough is good enough. Well, I reckon that'll do. What kind of work does He do? Excellent. How's He blessed you? With excellence. Psalms 150, verse 2, praise Him for His mighty acts, praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Come on, church. Let's fight for excellence in our walk with God. Let's fight to be excellent people, not mediocre people, not apathetic people, not Doris Day people, whatever will be, will be. No, whatever you allow will be. What are you, you decide what will be by the choices you make. Let's do not be lukewarm people, laid-back people, or religious people, but excellent people. That's going to put you above everybody else walking in average or normal. And I think it'll win more people to Jesus than all the religious stuff put together if we fight for excellence. The world will say, man, there's something about you that's so different. You know, but your lifestyle, it's excellent. When I look at you and your children, it's excellent. When I see you in your home, it's excellent. Proverbs 12, verse 26, the righteous is more excellent than his neighbor. I'm not going to let, whether I'm renting a house or buying a house, whether it's going to be 1,200 square feet or 6,000 square feet, no neighbor is going to have a better looking yard than me. No neighbor is going to have chickens and beer cans and broke down car. No, it's not going to be in mine. I'm not going to have a screen door half tore off and stuff hanging on the wall and broken. You can drive through my neighborhood and see it all over the place, but you're not going to see it in my yard. Why? The righteous are more excellent than his neighbor. Not more religious, more excellent. You clean it up. You fix it. You may not have something expensive, but it's neat. It's clean. When you work, when you do your job, whatever you're paid, you, do, you don't give a man his car back with four screws in the ashtray. I had that happen. I took our in for service. It came back, and I thought, well, where the heck do these go? The guy that worked on it took him out. What, he leave him in the ashtray? I want that man's name. How many of you know he's not excellent? See somebody go by, and the car's got four different colors of bondo on it, and you know this guy's not excellent. He took the insurance money, spent it on something else, and he's driving this clown car around there. Probably got a bumper sticker, God's my co-pilot or my source. I don't know. It won't fix it. Just keep tape on it or something. For four years, a red tape on a red tail light. Why don't you go get a tail (laughs) light? Give up a carton of cigarettes and go buy a tail light and fix your car. You see, excellent, excellent, excellent. You do a job, you do it right, and then you add some. If you see something, you need to fix it, and you fix it, and it's not even your job. You're excellent. Our God is an excellent God. So, whatever He does is not get by just enough. It's excellent. That's the kind of people that impress other people. What was it about David—Daniel, uh, forgive me—Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that drew the attention of these pagan godless kings and the rulers? It says their wisdom and their excellence. They had a spirit of excellence about them that surpassed the other people in his kingdom. So although they were Jewish boys in captivity uh, as prisoners and eunuchs in a foreign land, they were promoted to levels of authority because of their excellence and their wisdom so you can get wisdom obviously if any man lack wisdom let him ask of god quit hanging out with dumb people hang around people bigger than you better than you so you get smarter you can learn you can learn wisdom sure you can i want to i want to learn till the day i die something i didn't know that that's great that's more effective that works better you could have a better marriage if you'd get a little smart The Bible says, dwell with your wife according to knowledge, meaning it's got to be more than physical. If you're going to go the distance, you got to have some smarts. You guys that hunt white-tailed deer have to know how to hunt a white-tailed deer. You learn the skill of it. Well, you can learn to live with a woman the same way. And I'm telling you, you don't get this — got to learn it. You need to go to a marriage seminar. You need to learn some skills. It it could make a big, big difference. You could learn to do a better job, how to get a promotion, how to earn the trust of your employer. You can learn that with wisdom. There's nothing unbiblical about that. My goodness, if you add value, anybody can find a problem. It's you that can make a solution that become valuable. Every time there's a problem, you got a solution. Every time I got a solution, somebody else has got a problem with the solution. Great. Your value just went down. Kind of like the raptors went down. I know. I, I was pulling for them, but you know, didn't do much good. We ought to be able to ride through a neighborhood and say, oh, look, sweetheart, they're righteous. Well, how do you know? You don't even know them. Well, because they're more excellent than their neighbors. Everybody else looks like a weed patch. Look at that. Uh, that's, but it's a fight, a spiritual warfare against principalities and powers that try to drag us into compromise, apathy, complacency, and passivity. So, we're going to fight that devil of compromise, and we're going to fight for excellence in every area of our life. So, I think it's only fitting that we do a little bit of combat right now with God's Word. And so, I would urge you to participate if you'd like. Psalms 50 verse 15 says, call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. When your business fails, I will deliver you. When your marriage falls apart, I will deliver you. When the doctor says you're sick beyond medical help, I will deliver you. You need to shout in your spirit, God will deliver me. I'm going to count three. Let's all say it together. God will deliver me. One, two, three. God will deliver me, and He will. So let's put this into practice right now. If you need health and healing in your body, I want you to stand up right now and make this confession with me out loud. Just stand to your feet, and I don't want you to mumble. You declare it. Say, Lord Jesus, I make this confession in faith believing. You are my Lord and Savior. You are my great physician. You are my healer. By your stripes I am being healed. I am begotten of God, and the wicked one touches me not. Thank you. You sent your word to heal me, to deliver me from all my destructions. By your precious blood, I have victory over every sickness and disease. You have set before me life and death. I choose life. You have set before me blessing and curse. I choose blessing. I will not fear. You are with me. Your word is my strength, my fortress, my high tower. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I praise you. I will declare your greatness and bless your name forever. Those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I shall not die, but I shall live and declare the works of the Lord. I praise you, Lord, that that victory of health and healing is mine in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Good on you. Sit down. Those of you that are under some kind of attack, maybe it's a legal litigation, some form of attack and need protection, I want you to stand. And remember, you can stand more than once regarding some issue you may be facing. You need some protection. Maybe you've got a stalker. Maybe you've got an ex-spouse that's doing some uh, unseemly things in some way. You need protection. Whatever it may be in business, you stand and pray with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I make this proclamation in faith believing. The Lord is my light and salvation. Of whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked come against me to eat my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army gather against me. My heart shall not fear. In this will I be confident that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. In time of trouble He will hide me in His pavilion. He shall set me on a high rock. He shall lift my head above my enemies. The Lord is the glory and lifter of my head. Therefore I will offer the sacrifice of joy. I will sing praises unto the Lord, for the victory is mine today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now again, thank you. You can be seated. Those of you that need a new beginning in your finances and prosperity, I want you to stand, and I want you to make this proclamation with me today. This is financial. So, if that's an issue, you stand up. Say, Heavenly Father, In the name of Jesus, I make this declaration in faith believing. It is the Lord who gives me power to get wealth. It is You, O Lord, who plants me by rivers of living water. My leaf shall not wither, and whatever I do shall prosper. You will make me the head and not the tail. I will be above and not beneath. You will give me houses I did not build, vineyards I did not plant, and wells I did not dig. Because I have honored the Lord with my living and giving, the harvest will return to me exceedingly abundantly, above all I can ask or imagine. The harvest will be pressed down, shaken together, running over. I will be blessed going out, blessed coming in. I will be blessed in the city, blessed in the country. I will be blessed in my basket and store. God will force Satan to restore to me sevenfold all that he has stolen. My harvest is coming with full abundance from God, the giver of every perfect gift. I thank you, Lord, for a new beginning and for abundance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now the last one. Let's all stand up on this one. That's my favorite. This covers everything. Say, Lord Jesus, I make this proclamation in faith believing. I overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb by the word of my testimony, and not loving my life unto death. Through the blood of Jesus, I am redeemed out of the hand of the devil. Through the blood of Jesus, all my sins are forgiven, and shall be remembered no more. Through the blood of Jesus, I am continually being cleansed from all sin. Through the blood of Jesus, I am justified, made righteous, just as if I'd never sinned. Through the blood of Jesus, I am made holy, set apart unto God. Through the blood of Jesus, I have boldness to enter the presence of God. Through the blood of Jesus, God is in heaven, interceding on my behalf. Satan has no place in me no power over me, no claims against me. It has all been settled at the cross. Through the blood of Jesus, I am free. Now, King David said after his profession, therefore will I offer the sacrifice of joy in his tabernacle. I will give praise to the Lord. So for 30 seconds, can we just give some praise to God? 30 seconds, come on. Lord, thank you. You're my healer. Thank you, you're my provider. Thank you, you're my fortress, my deliverer. Thank you for victory over my adversary. Thank you, I am blessed and not cursed. Thank you, I am highly favored. Thank you, I am blessed going out and blessed coming in. Thank you, I will live and not die. Thank you, the vision and dream you gave me will be fulfilled. Thank you, nothing's too hard for you. Thank you for abundance and no lack. In the name of Jesus, thank you I can do all things through Christ, who is now strengthening me in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Woo! Yes! For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.